wife is sitting here in the North region. Ron's been a part of the North region going way back. I don't even remember how many years now. Uh, but they uh, leave the North region. And I know it's really important for our churches to be unified, to come together, to connect with one another. And one of the great ways to do that is by you know, hearing from each other and different ministers throughout uh, our region, sometimes even outside the U.S. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be with uh, these two ministries and getting, uh, by way of introduction, just a, a little bit orientation of the backstory. Certainly, for all of us, could be transition, whether it's what's going on in the country at large right now, or even uh, for you with your uh, your church family life and the the backstory there. So that's something that uh, is in, those two things are in, in common, whether it's from a national political point of view or from a, a more of a proximate church family situation. But uh, just to begin with, it's, it's fantastic for Renee and I just to be able to worship with you. And many of you we've worshiped with for many years. Actually, the number is 21 years that uh, we've been in uh, the... Uh, San Bernardino Valley and with the, the church there and part of the North region and uh, have had opportunity through the years to worship side by side with uh, many of you many times. And we miss that when things change and we, we move around and we relocate and ministries are uh, reconfigured, although we always are happy with what God is doing, we also miss uh, some of the things that we had enjoyed once upon a time. But a little update, uh, Renee and I are still married. Amen. It's, uh, we just this August celebrated our 36th anniversary. So she does deserve some kind of a medal for putting up with me 36 years. Uh, we have uh, two sons. Josh is uh, 32. He is uh, at UCLA working on his Ph.D. We pray that he will get his Ph.D. in public health epidemiology within the next uh, couple months. At least he'll finish his work on that. He is uh, still a disciple of Jesus, Amen. and he is still single. Amen. And then uh, Drew, uh, our second uh, in line, is 29 years old. And although he had lived uh, overseas for a number of years, he is living in Boulder, Colorado, and Drew is um, still a disciple and still single. So there's a little update there, but uh, we, we enjoy uh, our family connection and we enjoy our 
our shared faith in our family as well. So, uh, but you know, it's good to be with you because there, there is a transition uh, in the church life that you're experiencing and you're going through. You know, three years ago, really, we began very serious conversations in the Valley Church about uh, our ministry here in Simi Valley. And uh, the prayer and the thought was maybe, you know, there would be benefit in reaching out to the community to spin off the brothers and sisters that were coming into the San Fernando Valley to worship God but lived in Simi Valley. And so after uh, a build-up for that, now it's been about a year and a half that the Simi Church has been going and we're so happy with uh, what God is doing. But, you know, that was a transition. It was a transition for us in the San Fernando Valley uh, to not be with you and not have you with us. And it was a transition for you to not be with us as well. And you've just done so well. And then about a year ago, some conversations began happening with the Shoreline Church about the, the possibility of the need for and the benefit of having uh, some addressing going on with the leadership of the church and maybe some ongoing discipling, kind of on-the-ground training and retraining of, of the leaders of the ministry. And so that began just really uh, just about a year ago. And although none of us would have thought either when we began the conversations three years ago with uh, the Simi Church or a year ago with the Shoreline Church, that we'd be at a situation now where there's this merger going on. And who knows what God has in mind for us, except a whole lot of transition between here and then the great transition that all of us are going to experience when we go from here to heaven. I hope that's not a shock to any of us, that this is not our permanent home, that whatever we're doing here is not permanent but it is transitionary, and there's a big one coming. And so I know for some of you it's like I was just asking a few questions. People that I, I know about live farther away, and travel times may have been up to 45 minutes this morning, whereas for us coming from uh, Woodland Hills, it took us uh, between 20 and 25. And, and that's true whether we went to the Caneo uh, location or whether we can come here either way it's from our place it's about 20 25 minutes but for some of you I know it was like 45 minutes to get here today and so you know we just kind of are interested in what God is doing and how he's leading us and where he's leading us but to so uh, from a spiritual point of view so proud of all of you in the Lord yes. for the way you're seeking God for the way you're you're talking through sometimes some difficult conversations that have uh, had to have been had, and uh, seeking uh, both a, a humility, but also a way of expressing what's important to you, and what you value deeply and dearly, and then trying to find and listen to the voice of God, as we listen to each other's voice, also the voice of God through that. And so it's going to be exciting to see what 2017 have in mind for you. So Joe tells me that when he did this image, at the time he didn't actually know who was going to be the next president. Right. And so you kind of see that. Uh, and for some of you uh, right now, because of this transition we're involved in politically, it may be hard for you to look at both of them <laughs> or either one of them 
depending on what your take is on how the election turned out. There are a number in our country that are especially upset and troubled, and some are uh, grieving about what does this mean for their future. Uh, Gary Smith was telling me the other day he leads a a Bible study at Granada Hills High School in the Valley, and they have 50 to 75 teenagers in that class. He was there on Wednesday, the day after the uh, election, and there were kids that were crying in the class because they were so upset and so uh, feeling insecure about what was this going to mean. We have demonstrations going on all over the country, people expressing different levels of unhappiness, and grief and concern about the result that Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States and on January 20th will take over from Barack Obama. And it may be difficult for some to realize, but just eight years ago, there were some that were having similar grief and similar anxiety and similar concern about the, f- the fact that Barack Obama was going to be taking over as the president of the United States at, this time, at that time. And so this happens every four, eight years or so. These are not, the last two, are not the most traumatic of the transitions of presidents in our country's history. Just to give you a few notable ones. The very first one, 1797, when George, Bu- uh, George Bush, uh, George Washington, <laughs> I, knew, I knew as I was saying it was wrong, but I couldn't quite figure it out. When George Washington, the first president, was handing off the presidential power to John Adams, First of all, that it even occurred, because there were some in the country at that time that wanted Washington to be a king. And there were some that certainly wanted him to continue on in the presidency and leading the nation, and yet after just two terms as president, he decided to and set the precedent of just two terms, only broken by Franklin Delano Roosevelt during World War II, who served four terms at the beginning of his four terms. That was a very defining and traumatic time because the country was still in its infancy and still deciding what would happen. And it's an interesting story about what occurred at that moment. After after John Adams was sworn in, they started to walk out of the room where this all officialness took place. And they got to the door and he started to step back as he always did and always would have for Washington to step out and take the lead out into the public area. And Washington stopped and he said, no, you are the president now and I'm a private citizen. And set the tone for the country going forward from that moment. So that was a big one. And I think maybe the most uh, catastrophic and traumatic of all was the the 1860-1861 from James Buchanan to Abraham Lincoln. By the time Lincoln's inauguration occurred in March of that year of of, uh, 1861, seven states had already seceded from the Union. By the time he took office, six, by the end of of his, when he died, 600,000 Americans will have lost their lives. All of that at, at the brink of, you know, that transition from Buchanan to Lincoln. And then there was not from 
election because he was the vice president, but at the, the, the still, still some doubt, 1945, of how World War II would end up when Harry Truman was asked to, to go as quickly as he could to the private quarters of the White House and Eleanor Roosevelt informed him that the president was dead. And he said, the conversation went on, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, no, is there anything we can do for you because you're the one that's in trouble now. <laughs> At that moment, he didn't even know that there was a, a, a nuclear bomb program. And variously, the reports are, but maybe as many as 13 days later did he not know. And then he was the one that made that fateful decision to utilize it to end World War II. Those are, just to put it in perspective, a little more traumatic transitions. We don't know what the next uh, weeks or months or certainly years are going to hold, but, but, but it would help us to just think about that. And, and in keeping with uh, the whole idea of, of uh, what's God's take on the election and politics, to, to just be straightforward with you, I actually don't know because he really hasn't told me. We haven't had any <laughs> private conversations, so I'm not here with any exciting and new revelation. And again, that's probably and shouldn't be a shock to you. But we do have the scriptures available to us, and so we do have, uh, for any of us, to be able to look and to answer that question, what is God's take? Uh, we're going to go back through and we're going to put the, the, these verses up on the screen. But for a moment, I want to just read to you. Okay. And it's a, it's a prayer. It's from the book of Psalms. And so the first time through, uh, just, just listen to it. And uh, think if this might be in some way giving us some help uh, from a, just a very... Uh, God-oriented, spiritually oriented, and yet non-specific to this particular election, this particular year, and this particular transition of power. But just, just reflect on, on this prayer from the Psalms. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. 
Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us as glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a a psalm. It's a prayer of Moses. And Moses really has something to tell us about and and. Here's, here's kind of the basic bottom line to everything we're going to say today is, is when there are times of transition, whether it's in our personal lives, our church lives, our family life, uh, or in the backdrop of our nation, and, and so much is, is unknown. There's so many question marks, especially given the way this particular campaign went and the intensity of this particular campaign and the intensity of the rhetoric and, and, and the different things that, and, and the, the unknowns about what kind of a presidency is Donald Trump going to bring. With all of that unknown and this, at this transition, that, that, that the basic kind of just foundational point is this is a time to get some perspective. This is a time for us to have perspective. It certainly helps just from a United States of America political scene, it's good to get some perspective. But even in the sense of, of, of what God might be thinking or what God might be doing or what God might be up to, to just get a, a sense of perspective. So we go to the psalm of Moses because Moses had something to say about that at 40. And Moses had something to say also about disappointed expectations when it comes to leading a nation. At age 40, Moses thought, and this is, this is from Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7, an inspired account of some of the background going on with, with uh, Moses. Moses thought at age 40 that the people would understand that God had raised him up to deliver them. And in fact, they didn't get that. And so he ended up a failed attempt to, to assert his prince of Egypt. And it's, Stephen says at that time, he, Moses was powerful in word and speech, in word and deed. He was a powerful man. And he thought he can take charge and, and he can help them out. And they just, it was just a couple people, but they rejected him. And so he went off and he spent the next 40 years, half of his life, herding sheep in the wilderness. Just wandering around in the wilderness. And at age 80, which he's speaking for all of us here when he says that would have been about the, the 70 or 80 year limit of life for most of us. He goes back leads the people out thinking they're going to get out of Egypt, you know, across the Red Sea and then, you know, across the Jordan and into the promised land. The promised land, this is going to be great. And he ends up with a failed attempt even just to spying out the land and they wander around and then at age 120, God takes him up to the top of Mount Nebo and allows him to look all the way north and all the way south and survey the whole land and By the way, Moses, 
I spent a dream of your life. You're not going to go in. Not going to let you in because of that little incident where you, you struck the rock when I wanted you to speak to it and you didn't honor me as holy in the presence of the people. So even for, thank you for your years of leadership. Thank you for all that you've done. But this is where it stops for you. And, and he does. And so he, he knows something. He can tell us something about a big picture perspective. And keep in mind, some of the disappointment and possible disillusionment and maybe possible fears and anxiety that one might have when it comes to nations of people and the leading of nations of people and being a part of that sometimes messy mix. Okay, so let's just go back through now kind of verse by verse and, 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 and just get an idea of what we might learn from this and, and the perspective that we might gain. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God, and that's always a good thing to be, to be a man or a woman of God. However you may be navigating through life, you, you're, you're an American, and amen for that, and a citizen or an inhabitant of this land, and that's great, but, but the idea would be always, first and foremost, to be a man of God and to be a woman of God. And, and so his prayer really helps us with, with how to be that way in the midst of uh, other things. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born and you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now that is zooming way out, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's way out zooming to get the huge picture, not just of, you know, eight years ago we had a transition and, and now we got this one and it's going to be like a maximum of, of eight and people say this is going to be four. In fact, we don't think he's even going to make four years, Trump, in this thing, which who knows, but, but the point is, is this is going way out bigger picture from, from all generations and from everlasting to everlasting. And, you know, that's kind of helpful sometimes to just realize whatever we may get worked up on and what's God thinking about? Well, <laughs> you know, God's like, I've seen this before many, many times. I've seen a lot of this thing. So whatever his thoughts are, it's in the context of genera all generations and from everlasting to everlasting. And whatever the now what is at this moment in time for each of us, whatever the now what is, it's in the big context of God. But what's really cool about this is Moses speaking for himself, speaking for the Hebrew nation, but also for all humanity, speaking and saying, you're our dwelling place. Moses, it wasn't Egypt. But it wasn't either the wandering around in the wilderness and being able to just go on a mountaintop and look across and never being able to live there himself. No, his, his dwelling place was not the nation and the conquest of the land the way he wanted. His dwelling place was God. Now, we think about our dwelling place and there's different ways to picture United States of America. And, you know, there, there have been quints. I can trace it back, you know, through that uh, different family tree stuff to right around 1700. 
like right there, there's, it goes way back. And so I'm, I am uh, an American. I love being an American. I mean, I, I love when I've been out of the country and maybe you have this experience and sometimes I just want to, I want to get down and kiss the, the ground, you know, of get, getting back to the country because uh, I love, I love traveling and, and I love being part of our mission works uh, uh, at different places, but, but I also love coming back. But, but at this moment, how somebody might view the U.S. of A could be kind of like this. You know, it's, it's divided into red states and blue states. And then within the red and blue states, there's red counties and blue counties and red cities and blue cities. And, and if, you, if you watched any kind of the election results coming in, you saw that. And, and there is an indication that our country is deeply, deeply divided. And, and how is the country going to respond? What's, what's going to happen going forward? So, so this is a view, but you know, it's just always helpful to get a little perspective. Yeah. And if you zoom out just a little bit, yeah. you get not only the sense of, okay, there's no red or blue here. <laughs> and, and also, you also know that this is, by the way, this is, this is turning, yeah. all right? And so it's going to come around, and it's going to come around, and there's going to be a whole other view tomorrow and the day after that. And, but we're also part of a, a much greater global situation going on, all right? But let's zoom out just a little bit more. And, and let's get that perspective too. Because as big of a deal as we think it is, and as big of a deal as we think our take. I mean, I was amazed. I was, I was watching as the, the, the shift started to come as to who it was thinking the beginning of the day was going to be president and who was looking at the end of the day was going to be president and all of the polls and what the polls said, it was like in a moment the, the pundits went from, well, we know this is going to happen and here's why to, what just happened to, I mean, it was just like a moment to, okay, well, here's why and here's how what we got wrong and here's now we know what it is. So even, even just your held view of what has gone right or what has gone wrong and what we've got to be worried about and what we don't have to worry about now as compared to a week ago, put that in this context. Just zoom out far enough and realize that for God, this is, this is just a drop in the palm, even this, the, in, in the palm of his hand. So what's my dwelling place? As much as I, I love my country, and as much as I want my country uh, to, to do well and navigate through all this, at, at this moment, it's just good to remember my dwelling place is God. Right. He is my dwelling place throughout all generations. And so uh, he gives us that perspective. And then, and then he goes on. Now he goes, from, he goes from God, and he'll do this through this psalm. He kind of zooms out to God, and then, and then he zooms back in to us. What about, here's God. What about us? You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years. How many lifetimes, lives of human beings in a thousand years? A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You know, when you, if you travel over into Europe, and you'll see some of their monuments, 
And, you know, like a thousand years is nothing for them. And here we are, you know, we, we eke out, you know, like 300 years or so of history, and, and that really wows us. But in God's, a thousand years in your sight is like a day that's just gone by, or like a watch in the night, yet you, and notice the, notice the, um, the power of this language, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. And, and this language, the, the new grass, in the morning it springs up new, and, and that's, that's the way it is. There's this, this sense of, of glory, and this sense of expectation, and this sense of, of promise. Or maybe, as it might be for some, as you think about Donald Trump being president, it might be a sense of dread and a sense of, oh, no, and what's going to happen? And that's the way it is with people. There's this sense of something new or something different or something momentous or maybe something ominous is coming on, something new in the morning like grass. Uh, in the morning it springs up new, but by the evening, by, by the end of the day, it's dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Moses is building on the theme of God being the big context. Of God being the significant other. As God being the real mover and shaker to whom we must deal. And he uses really strong language. Anger. We're terrified by your indignation. Powerful language. And it's meant to give us a reality check on there are all kinds of things that we don't understand and that we can't control. And there are powerful forces at work, but the most powerful, I mean, like not even a close second, the most powerful force in the universe and in our lives is God. And God's seen it all. And then inside of that is this, the lifespan of each of us. And inside of our lifespan is the coming and going of various ups and downs. And various hopes and dreams and promises. But in the end, always coming back to and giving an account to God. Giving an account, ultimately showing up and giving account to God for what's gone on. And that's one thing we can be assured of, that ultimately God's in control, ultimately God has a plan, and ultimately everyone, including Donald Trump, will have to give an account to God. And there will come a time, we might think, how could it ever be, when he will be terrified before God. And in any way that he has not please God, he'll have to experience God's indignation. Whether he experiences a backlash from the voters or not, there's a time when he's going to have to give an account to God. Can we put that in perspective for just a moment? And that we can, we can see the rise of tide and the, the coming on of somebody. And we might even have, we might even have hopes and, and expectations and, and anticipation of some good things but even for that, we've got to realize, yeah, but by, by the end of the day, it's, that's all gone and, and something else is coming on. So, so there's, there's that perspective. And I like this. Um, this is, uh, was written by Joseph Addison 
he lived 1672 to 1719. So, I mean, he was dead and gone years before we even became a country. He was, among other things, a writer, and he was also a politician. And somewhere in his lifespan, he must have, have been having a meditation in a cemetery because he wrote this, and it's, uh, I find it instructive. He says, when I look upon the tombs of the great, every emotion of envy dies in me. When I read the epitaphs of the beautiful, every inordinate desire goes out. When I meet with the grief of parents upon a tombstone, my heart melts with compassion. When I see the tombs of the parents themselves, I consider the vanity of grieving for those whom we must quickly follow. When I see kings lying by those who depose them, when I consider rival wits placed side by side, or the men that divided the world with their contests and disputes, reflect with sorrow and astonishment on the little competitions, factions, and debates of mankind. When I read the several dates of the tombs of some that died yesterday and some 600 years ago, I consider that great day when we shall all of us be contemporaries and make our appearance together. This is something about what Moses must have been thinking when he said, uh, we're like grass that, that flourishes and it's so ah, and then it withers and dies. And that's a lifetime, and that's a, that's a thousand lifetimes, which is to God just, just like a day that's just gone by. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet, notice this description. The best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For we quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So there is wisdom to be had, and wisdom is what we need. The idea is, is how would one respond wisely? How would res one respond skillfully as a spiritual person in the context of this transition of our nation? But that's, that's not even as relevant as... as it is for each of us and just the other transitions that, that go on in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes. Our secret sins before God. Do you know that whatever may happen in the White House after January 20th will not be nearly as significant for you and for me as what happens in my own house and in your own house? Do, do, do you get that? we got to remember that. Okay, there's some really bad stuff could happen out of the White House. Yeah? But the stuff that's going to happen this afternoon and tomorrow in my own house is, a, is, is much more problematic 
potentially problematic, if I'm not realizing that my secret sins are being lived out in the light of his presence, and there is a certain healthy, wholesome, wise fear of God that Moses, the man of God, calls us to have. Now, he's going to put it in context, and it, it, it gets better, if you will, by the end of the psalm. This is a little frightening and a little intense. But the idea of numbering our days to gain wisdom is, one, realizing they, there is a limited number. And for some of us, you know, it's just a day, and it's later in the day than for others. But it's a day, and it's, there's a limited number of them, and so the idea of numbering them is realizing there's going to come a time where it's going to end, and then I'm going to have to give an account to him for how I lived it. And as, as significant as what the Congress may do or not do and what they may collectively decide and how this all realigns given how the voting went, much more significant for me is going to be how I navigate in the relationship in my world yeah. in a way that's either pleasing to God and in the light of me giving account to God or not. Because in a public way, you could fake people out. In a public way, you can have an image and even navigate certain relationships in a certain way. But sooner or later, it comes to light. And people end up either, either trusting you or trust gets damaged and trust gets broken along the way. So the, the idea, the wisdom is, is to think about it as being out in the light anyway. And so trying to live as much of our time as though it's always out in the light. The best of them are trouble and sorrow. Now that can be kind of negative. And you can kind of you can kind of say, wow, thanks for that. When's lunch? But there's something really wholesome about just taking any expectations that life is going to be perfect. Taking off any expectations that there's some government somewhere that is going to be able to legislate somehow that all of the trouble and sorrow can be taken out of life. It's not going to happen. Not under any administration. This is Moses speaking under a theocracy where, where God was in charge, but because there were still human beings in the mix beyond God, it was trouble and sorrow. This side of heaven, trouble and sorrow. We might have expectations. We might want this to happen. We might want this to be better. And that's part of it, to want things to be better and, and to maybe even advocate for and do what you can for things to be better. But, but there's, a, there's a part of it at which just, just settling down and accepting there's going to be trouble and sorrow in the mix and just accept that. And the more deeply we can accept that, the more we can get on with then, you know, dealing with the trouble and sorrow that is part of our life's existence. So I was hiking this summer and I, I took a couple shots because there was things that I, I was thinking of actually about just these kinds of themes then on the hike. And it was uh, three nights up in the mountains outside of Mammoth and so we were out there, out away from uh, 
you know, the, the city and uh, all of the, the benefits of, of uh, electricity and stuff like that. And, and it's, a, it's a time for me to actually get more perspective and think. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about these, these principles that there is a, there's a, a time uh, table on life. I'm, I'm, I'm on the clock. There's a limited span of them, and uh, I just turned 58, so, you know, they're, they're adding up, and there's fewer on that other side. I mean, chances are, let's see, 58 and 58 is 160. I'm probably past the halfway point, I'm yeah. thinking. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a shot. I've I, I got to get used to that, yeah. So, okay, so here is a, a picture of the flower, the, the, you know, the, the grass, the, the flower, and it, it, it's great, you know, and it's just kind of there, and, and, and now they're just being what they're being. But I look at this, and I say, it gets it. It's accepted, and it's just doing what it does for the time that it has, for the brief moment that it has. The growing season up at 10,000 feet is very short, so its lifespan is very short. But, you know, it's brilliant, and it's awesome, and it's doing what it's doing. And, and again, this is me. This is you. Now over here, what I saw this is this is also me. But it's the part of me that wants to hold on. Now, in fairness to the tree, the tree is just doing what trees do. But it was a picture to me of that part of me that cannot accept this brevity, that cannot accept that there's just a time when the petals are going to fall off and it's going to wither and die and that's going to be it. And so there's a part of me that's just holding on. I mean, you're dead already. Let go. Or, no, I can't let go yet. And there's this gnarliness that, that, that's to it. Now, you probably see something different when you look at that, but that's what I saw. You know, uh, we, we'll, we'll pray for you, Ron. I know you're thinking. You need our prayers. But, but there, is a, there is a healthy wholesome, and then if you can, moment by moment, skillful interacting with life where we just accept this is our reality and there can be a peace and a less fighting over certain transitions that occur that are just part of many transitions that are going to occur, have occurred, and are going to keep occurring, right? And it'd be more like that piece of that flower than the gnarliness of the, the, the end of the, the stump. Okay, so then, then he finishes. He says, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us, as glad, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants. May your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I really like the way he ends. Because there is on, on the one hand, for Moses, and, and this is just so helpful for us, there is an acceptance and an awe of and a fear of God. His power, his wrath, his, his anger, his bringing people to account for our, our sins and our secret sins. And, and there's, just a, there's just an awe and a trembling before God. But then, same guy, same prayer, there's this boldness. And, you know, here, the translators, with an exclamation point, as though you could approach God with that kind of boldness and that kind of directness. You know, you could put an exclamation point on your conversation with God. This is the one who we're trembling. 
and we're, you know, in the fear of, relent. Relent. Like, make it different. This is how it is, but could you make it different? And, and how long? And that may be what some people are, are thinking from a political point of view. Or there may be some situation in your life that you're in the middle of, and, and that's your question, is, is how long, okay? Transitions are going to occur, but how long till this one occurs? And he's bold with God, and he's praying. But then he goes right in, and this is the same guy that's praying over the fear of God and trembling. Same, and it's no conflict for him. There's no like, how could this be and this be? They both fit comfortably in the same spiritual life. They both have room in the same mature walk with God that Moses had, and that's recorded here. He's now talking about being satisfied in the morning with God's unfailing love. Satisfy us in the morning, and then he talks about being glad all our days. So the idea would be, from this morning to all our days. So every day during the Trump administration, and all our days, to begin with, with perspective, and with being satisfied with the love of God. And you have different ways. We have different ways of doing that, of helping us with that, reading our Bible, taking a prayer walk, listening to Christian music, singing Christian songs, uh, staying in your, your inner closet and praying or getting out into nature. But the idea is to somehow to find that meeting with God and opening up to the possibility that He could satisfy you morning by morning by morning all your days with His love, unfailing love. And then he, he, he desires gladness and God making us glad. And, and then in verse 16, he, he wants God's nature and God's character and uh, God's splendor, his action to be seen and to be shown. And this is Moses who saw some pretty powerful working of God. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues of, uh, in Egypt, and the powerful working of God, and he, he just wants to again and again see the working of God in his life. And then he wants that to be gotten and passed on to and connected with by our children. Isn't that a, a worthy thing to be thinking about? And then, and this is so great. I, I love this about Psalm 90. On the one hand, you could think, well, man, if, if this day, and it's going to end, it's kind of like my life, and it's like, you know, the, it begins like a, 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 the grass in the morning, and by the end it's withered, it's like, I give up, why bother? Like there's, there's a cynicalness, there's a discouragement, there's a despondency that could set in. He goes from that to what's his final thing? I love this. Establish the work of our hands. Somehow, even the, like the anger of God and the love of God could fit. Also the idea of, you know, we're all dust and we're going to be turned into dust, but we got work to do. We got important work to do and we got to do it and we got to do it now and we need God to bless us. God established for us. And I like this phrase here. For us. Like, we're going to do the work, but in the end, God, we're going to need you to, to work for us on our behalf. So, 
we all have a circle of concern that we live in, and then inside of that concern is our circle of influence. The circle of concern is everything out there that crosses our mind that, that could be somehow uh, affect us. Like, what's the guy in Korea doing? That's in my circle of concern. I don't know about yours. How is Putin, Putin going to respond to Trump? And what's going to That's in my circle of concern. And what's going to happen with the health care? That's in my circle of concern. So on and on we go, and we can think about this. What's going to happen with my friends that are here in this country and their immigration status, we'll just say, is, is uh, you know, not, not worked out yet, okay? And what, what's going to happen? So there's, there's things that are out there in our circle of concern, and then there's things that are in our circle of influence that we could actually do something that we either directly control or because of our, our actions we can have an effect on them, like... What am I going to eat for lunch today? I could have an influence on that, but I'll probably be with Renee, so we're probably going to have to work that out. You know, what, what is it going to be, all right? And uh, what time am I going to go to bed tonight? That's it. And what time am I going to get up tomorrow? And am I going to go to work tomorrow? I don't know. Joe, what do you think, you know? Okay, so, so there's, there's things that are actually in my circle of influence. Now, here's what happens to people. Reactive people view things that happen out there as what's really important. And they end up feeling like life is kind of like this caving in on them because they're constantly thinking about, constantly giving their attention to, and constantly concerned about well, what's going to happen, well, what's this going to mean, what's Trump going to do, and what's the Congress going to do, and how, how is this going to work out? And the more reactive we are, the more we're constantly thinking about the things we're concerned about, which it could be a big deal and it could really affect us, but there's nothing we can do about it the more our circle of influence shrinks. What we can do, all our energy is spent worrying and all our energy is spent concerned, and we don't really get that much done. The, the proactive person is the person who says, okay, this is what's happening, but now this is what I can do about it. This is what I can actually do about it. And the person that realizes and catches themselves, oh, I'm reacting again, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm viewing, you know, the world is coming in on me, and they haven't gained a perspective, to them it's constantly what they can do shrinks away. But the person that is proactive, the person that, that, that makes decisions and choices and takes action on them, that person actually they find that, that the, the things that they're concerned about, they can't do anything about it, it's really not, it's less and less on their radar, less and less a part of their experience, and their influence can grow. So what can we do? Well, by, by uh, Moses' example, and in terms of what we might learn from the Bible, in terms of now what, given that this is in play, one thing we can do, and this is, a, this is the, the, the proactive thing we can do, is to pray. Yeah. And it's a really really good thing to do. It's good to do anyway, but it's also good to do right now as we think about the backdrop of our country's transition, is to pray. And this is what we learn in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 4. We need to pray so as to limit our concerns, the concerns that we carry in our hearts through processing it with God. Paul says to Timothy, I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
Now, this, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, there's at least two applications of that principle. One application is, is what happened in Paul's lifetime, and that was what was called the Pax Romana, which was Roman peace with absolutely historian's credit because of the mode of transportation and the traveling from one country to another, it allowed the spread of the gospel. And Paul will go on and say in the next verse, and this is what God wants. He wants all people to be saved. So there's the bigger idea that we want to pray for President Obama, for his remaining days in office, and for the transition, and for uh, President-elect Trump. We want to pray for them because the scriptures call us to, but also so that times of peace and the spread of the gospel will occur. Right now, because of the war on terror, right now, our brothers and sisters in Russia cannot share their faith. Because of their concerns about terror going on there, they have locked down any public sharing of faith of any kind, and it affects the spread of the gospel there. I mean, very directly. And so the idea might be that, that whatever would happen in Trump's relationship with Putin, and whatever would happen globally, the times of peace that would enable the, the spread of the gospel would occur. But there's another application, and that is the peaceful quietness within my own life. That I pray, and I pray about and for our governmental leaders so that within my own heart the concerns and the anxieties and the, the hopes and the fears are all processed. And in that way, that positions me to be more influential in the world around me. I also pray, we pray to leverage our influence. You know, to be less about the concern and more about influence. And so, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, this may be, this may be uh, a little surprise to some of you. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, there was not a foothold, footnote that then said, until the United States of America gets established, and then my kingdom will reside on the earth once again. And there's some Americans that have this mistaken idea that we are, we are the new Israel. We are the people of God. We're, we're God's chosen people. And that's not accurate. That's not historically accurate, nor is it biblically accurate. The, the we that are the holy nation are those of us that are in Christ. And being in Christ, back to Moses, talking about God is our dwelling place. We in Christ, Christ is our dwelling place. And our, na our national identity, even as we can appropriately be uh, proud to be Americans and want the best for our country and, and vote and, and do whatever we can uh, within the means of, of being you know, law-abiding citizens and, and to, to, to advance our country and, and its, its interests. But, but at the same time, our real national identity is in Christ. And our calling there is to proclaim and declare his praises. And so one of the things that we have an opportunity to do with all of the questions and, all, and the debate that's going, that's continuing 
is one to be really good listeners on our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, especially with the people that you vehemently disagree with, the people that you think and on certain issues that you feel like just go against any, any respecting God or, or any valuing what God would value, to really listen whenever possible, pay the price of admission to that person's heart so that, if possible, you might see an opening for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, and for an opportunity from connecting with them and, and, and have your opinions, have your take, but, but put that, your opinion and your take on things in the context of the much greater of what's important in God's plan for people's lives and declare his praises in the hope that maybe somebody that's struggling or, or vocal about what's going on, that, that that could be an entry point in a conversation that they might find their way with your helping them out of darkness into light in their relationship with God. We'll uh, turn it over to a final song. Let's stand up and let's sing a closing song.